0: Hey, good morning. Why don't you open your Bible with me to First John chapter two? As uh, so you know, we've been going through this letter, and uh, John is, is uh, his writings to me are, are just among my favorites in Scripture uh, because of the uh, wonderfully uh, rich approach to speaking to the deity of Christ and um, and and the concepts that are connected with that, the idea of abiding in him of walking in the light as he is in the light and things like this and so i i just so appreciate john's writing uh, and just the way he approaches those things of course we see those topics elsewhere in scripture the other gospels speak of the deity of christ paul of course magnifies that dramatically a, a lot in his writing and that but there's just something about the style of john it's it's almost um it's it's doctrinal but it's it's like doxology and uh uh and uh Uh, It's theology and doxology, kind of like almost just interwoven throughout his style of writing. So I just happen to really love that. But but we're in chapter 2, and um, John has just been speaking about the idea that uh, Christ is our advocate before the Father, the one who stands before the Father on our behalf, and through whom the Father sees us now, through the finished work of Christ, the one who knew no sin, who became sin with our sin, obviously, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so not only is he our advocate, but he's also our propitiation, again, the one who ultimately satisfies the righteous uh, indignation, uh, the righteous requirement of God's, uh, you know, uh, uh, justice in regard to the law. And so it's not that God just forgave us sort of willy-nilly and just sort of turned a uh, blind eye to our sin, but rather he dealt with our sin. Uh, and this, of course, is the beauty of the gospel, is that, you know, it's not that God is some vengeful God out there just waiting to crush people who... who. Uh, who have violated his law, but he ultimately is the one who uh, steps into time in the person of Christ and ultimately pays for the debt that we owed. Uh, this is the love of God personified. And so um, so this is the Jesus that we speak about and we talk about the Christ in Scripture um, that John is portraying and that he's been talking about in this first letter, the one whom he had seen, heard, and touched, and, and knew personally. Well, In uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, where we're going to pick up today, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And the one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked, in other words, as Christ walked himself. Um, so, the idea of, of, of uh, the demonstration of our love for God is that we walk in his ways, that we obey his commands. Um, as a matter of fact, in chapter 5, uh, verse, uh, well, let me turn to it. In chapter 5, verse uh, 3, John says this For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The idea that it is not a chore for us to walk in the ways that God has prescribed. Um, now, I, I guess I should speak to the idea of the uh, of, of sort of uh, the concept of law and grace, the commandments and grace, and this kind of thing. Um, you know, because there are two extremes that oftentimes, one of which is embraced, uh, tends to be embraced by believers. One is the idea that we are still under the law, the idea that um, a Christian, in order to be a Christian, has to... Uh, follow the commandments and all this kind of a thing in and the, and the way that it's, it tends to sort of be seen throughout the Old Testament. Um, now, to that, the scriptures would say, as Paul would say in Colossians, that, um, that, you know, Jesus has taken the handwriting of the transgressions that was against us and has nailed it to the cross, uh, pointing back to Jesus' own words, it is finished, paid in full, to tell us die in the Greek, uh, there in John, John's gospel again. Um, but... Um, the idea here that, that uh, therefore, we don't follow new moons and Sabbaths and all these kinds of things. There were a shadow of things to come, but the reality is Christ. Uh, also, in Acts chapter 15, uh, in our study in the book of Acts, uh, we're going to come very soon to that chapter where the very first church council is held in Jerusalem. And uh, the question revolved around this very thing, the idea of, do Gentiles need to come to Christ by way of Moses. In other words, do they need to follow the law in order to put their trust in Messiah? And at the end of that council, at the end, the decision ultimately is made, that no, that's not what's required anymore. Uh, and so obviously then the question is, well then what of the law? Is it done? Is it finished? The short answer is yes. But yes, it's finished in the sense of of it being seen as this means by which to be right with God, because as Jesus himself said, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so therefore, in Christ, the law has been fulfilled. It's been satisfied. As a matter of fact, as only he could fulfill it, satisfy it. Paul says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so therefore, it is impossible for us to, well, it's not possible for us to think it, But we ought to understand the impossibility of fulfilling the law ourselves, of living up to it. We have violated it, and we are, you know, I wouldn't say constantly violating it, but we are consistently violating it. And so therefore we need Christ. Jesus alone is the one who satisfies our failure in that regard, completely lives up to what we could not, and then pays for our debt because only he's worthy of that. But since he did... The requirements of the law have been satisfied, therefore we are no longer under it. so the one extreme is that we need to still be under it. The other extreme on the other end of the spectrum is uh, are those who are um, and i 'll just use the term although I, I think it 's a little clumsy, but um, the hyper grace the idea that um, that we 're under grace to the extent that doesn 't matter how we live we 're saved by grace, therefore, all my sins are paid for I can. I'm, you know, uh, since I'm saved, I don't have to worry about you know, any punishment or any judgment and that kind of thing. Now, I would say that on the one hand, um, well, let me just address it the way Paul does. Um, uh, Paul said that all things are lawful for me, but not all things build up or edify. So on the one hand, yes, because grace is what it is. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's, it's finished. It's done. And so, therefore, I don't have to you know, worry that somehow I'm going to fall out of God's grace because it's all of Him. It's done by Him. It's finished by Him. And so, therefore, since by faith I have received that finished work of Christ, I am saved. Um, and so, yes, on the one hand, I, sh- I should recognize that nothing will separate me from God's love. But Paul goes further than just saying that. He says, Should I therefore sin the more, that grace might abound the more? The answer to that is God forbid. Paul says, Heavens no, God forbid. Let it never be so. Uh, in other words, no, we should never think that way. Uh, that we should just go on sinning more just to demonstrate how awesome God's grace is. I mean, after all, I can I can't sin myself out of God's grace, so let's just keep on sinning all the more intently because it just demonstrates God's grace. That's ridiculous thinking. Of course, it's it's true. But that's not the way we think. Uh, uh, You know, if somebody paid off an enormous debt for you or did some incredible favor for you that really got you out of some kind of a situation that was hopeless, you wouldn't spend, you know, you wouldn't just casually, carelessly just do things that offend that person without any concern or anything because you'd know that, like, that's just not the way you treat somebody who treated you that way, who treated you so kindly and demonstrated such grace and, and mercy toward you in that. So, um... You know, the two extremes, one, we're still under the law, the other extreme that it doesn't matter what we do because we're under grace. John here speaks to this idea and says, look, you know, one of the demonstrations of the fact that we are in Christ, that we love him, that we're, um, you know, our lives are a living response to his grace, is that we follow his commandments. Now, not follow his commandments like we're under the law, but simply live out uh, what the heart of the commandments really are. It's interesting that um, when Jesus was asked, a lawyer came up and asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, in other words, what's the primary? What is is the greatest of all the commandments? Now, of course, if I ask how many commandments were there, some might say 10 because we're just familiar with the 10. We've all seen Charlton Heston and the 10 commandments and stuff. Um, But the truth of the matter is, is that there were 613 commandments that covered all of the religious and civil laws in Israel. And so if we're saying... We're under the law. We're not just under the ten. We're under all of them. Uh, As Paul would say, if you violate one, you violate it all. Why? Because God's the author of them all. So um, when we talk about the the law, we're not just talking about the top ten. We're talking about all of this. Um, And so John is, or I should say, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all these commandments? He said, the greatest commandment is this. uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he went on to say, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So this first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and Jesus, by the way, finished that statement by saying, if you do these, you'll fulfill the law and the prophets. In other words, everything they spoke about and, and wrote about in regard to the law is ultimately satisfied in loving the Lord your God with all that you are, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and demonstrating the same love for others that you would want to uh, see expressed toward you. Uh, And so when we talk about the commands, it's important for us to understand that underlying the commandments, which are generally seen as don'ts, right? You shall not have other gods before me. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder and all these things. We see them sort of, many of them, presented in the negative. Um, But that our sense of understanding those things ought not be limited to the fact that they are expressed that way in words, in, in, on the surface, I should say. At the heart of all of those laws are, is a dramatic positive. For example, if you turn to Exodus chapter 20, I'll just read a couple of the commandments uh, just to kind of explain, explain what I'm trying to say. Um, for example, the very first commandment in, in Exodus 20 begins by God saying, Uh, by the word saying that God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the water underneath the earth, and you shall not worship nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations, on those who hate me, uh, but showing loving kindness to thousands and uh, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for uh, the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain, and so on. And we'll look at another one or two. Uh, well, let me just jump down to it now. Again, you shall not uh, commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and so on. And so we have a lot of you shall nots, right? But notice what's at the heart of these things. For example, the first commandment, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. That follows on the heels of, I'm the God who delivered you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. I am the God who demonstrated love, grace, deliverance, provision, all of that don't have any other gods before me. Why? Because no other god can do what I do or love you the way I love you. Anything else would be less. Anything else would be a god who isn't this. And so therefore, that thou shalt not is actually a protection so that you shall love the true god, the god who loves you and who is taking taken care of you. It's a warning against moving into uh, a devotion to a deity that is is less, infinitely less, and infinitely less capable, uh, like God is. I don't mean there are actual other gods, but you know the various false gods that are worshipped in this world. Um, when he says you shall not worship them or serve them or make false images of them, and that uh, or make uh, any graven image, well. In the first place, if you make a graven image of a false god, you're just deepening and perpetuating worship of a false god. And so that is something to be warned against. That's a plus, right? We want to be warned against that. But even making an image of the true god uh, is also wrong. Why? Because any image that you would try to create of God is going to be less than who he is. And so therefore, your devotion is not going to be as rich and full because of it being focused on this image that is a lesser representation of the infinite almighty God. And so therefore the warning against, the admonition not to do something, ultimately has at its heart a positive, that you would worship God in spirit and truth, that you would do that thing that you were created to to do unhindered and unfettered in any way. Uh, and, and not misdirected in some way. And so it's actually, in spite of the wording saying not to do something, at the heart of it is the idea of an encouragement to do something in its stead. And that's the right thing. The, the, true, the worship of the true God, a true expression of worship of the actual living Almighty God. Um, you shall not commit murder, right? Okay, well, the positive of that is you should appreciate life. Right, and so it's obviously underneath that negative is a positive. You shall not commit adultery. In other words, you shall not be unfaithful and damage and destroy the relationship that God has given you to enjoy and be blessed by. So you can see where I'm going with this. There's, there's, uh, and this could be true really of all of the law, uh, and that's why Jesus speaks of it in the positive. I mean, I presume upon the Lord and what His thinking is, but it would seem to me that the reason that he speaks of it in the positive, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the other side of the coin of the thou shalt nots in the Old Testament law as it's given in Exodus 20. And so when John here says back in 1 John chapter 3, by this we know we've come to know him and we keep his commandments, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, the truth is not in him. The natural expression of the believer is to live in concert and in, in consistency with that which God approves. And not in, 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 uh, uh, to walk constantly or consistently, I should say, in regard to that which God disapproves. As a matter of fact, later in the same epistle, when we come to it, we'll see that uh, John says that you know, he who loves God does not consistently walk in sin. Because we understand that even Christians who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength are still living in these bodies of flesh. And we struggle, like Paul said in Romans 7, which we so often quote. Uh, we, we recognize that in our minds, in our hearts, we know the right thing. We know what blesses God and is approved of him. But in our flesh, we find ourselves always resisting this. We fight against it because of our flesh. And there's this battle that happens within us because of this. But John says that the characteristic of the believer is that he walks in the ways that God has prescribed. Uh, And this is not a burden, as we said in in 1 John 5, 3, as we looked at it a moment ago. It's not burdensome for us to walk this way. It's not a chore to walk with God. And why would it be? Why would it be a chore to walk with somebody that you love? Um, You know, it's not difficult for me to spend time with my wife. I don't have to uh, struggle to get ramped up so I can spend time with my wife. I love spending time with my wife. I love spending time with my daughter. I love spending time with my church family. I love spending time with my friends. I love, you know, it just—it's natural to want to spend time with those you love and to sort of be like-minded with them. Uh, and even on those things where maybe, in terms of human relationships, we are not like-minded, you still generally are gracious and you sort of, you know, have the give and take and all that. In our human relationships, we find ways to just enjoy and look forward to those things. In our relationship with God, that should be all of that on steroids, like we should just love being with the Lord and not doing things that would take away from or diminish or damage that relationship. Um, You know, Jude would say, keep yourself in the love of God. Of course, in his context, he's talking about protecting against false teaching and all of that. But there's a very clear connection there, because if you succumb to false teaching, then you are pulling yourself away from that daily walking loving relationship with God. And so to walk in his ways ought not be burdensome. Again, we're not back under the law. We're all of a sudden now we have dietary restrictions and all this kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, by the way, as a Gentile, you've never been under the law. That's always been a covenant thing with Israel. But our general sense is that this is what it means to be right with God, is, is to make sure we follow all these commandments. Well, John's not saying that, that you're going to be salvifically or salvation-wise Right with God by following his commandments. He's just simply saying that the natural response of a believer who has experienced the love of God and who loves God back walks in ways that please God, walks in the ways that God has said. Um, And it's, it's, it, it becomes a rich, beautiful experience when we are walking in step with God and not walking contrary to those things that he has said. And so, um, and those who say that they know him but don't keep his commands, they're lying. They're, they're not speaking truth. They're actually a dichotomy. They're, they're saying one thing, but they're doing another. And these two things cannot be, again, consistently, from a heart issue. The person John is describing is somebody who is just saying they love God, but don't actually love God. And it's demonstrated by the fact that they don't walk in his ways. But whoever keeps his, his word, verse 5, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him, that the one who says he abides in him ought also himself to walk in the same manner as he or Jesus walked. And here's that word abide. Uh, John would use that same word in recording what Jesus had to say about being the vine and the branches. Abide in me, Jesus would say, and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. Well, fruit isn't just the works we do outwardly, by the way. Fruit is also what we become inwardly. Uh, if you look at grapes on the vine, for example, like we think of the grape as being that final product. It's what the vine produced. It's, it, it worked up a grape, and now it, it, we eat it or we crush it and use it for wine or whatever it might be. But it's everything that that grape became inside because it was attached to the vine, that is every bit as important as what the finished product is. Uh, And so when we abide in Christ and bear fruit, that means that he is working out within us things that can only be worked out in us as we're walking with him. Uh, Apart from that, none of that happens, and by extension, we therefore cannot do things that ultimately would be works that we could credit to God. Um, And so there is this, this idea of abiding means staying connected to and understanding that apart, that we understand that apart from him, we can accomplish nothing. And I would also suggest that that inward growth that happens so richly when we are walking with him, abiding in him, that also begins to diminish greatly uh, and even come to a halt oftentimes when we find ourselves backsliding or walking away in our own ways. And so the encouragement here from John is to recognize the difference between simply saying that we love God and actually loving God, and recognizing that the fruit of that is that we walk in his ways when we actually love God. And if we are just simply saying it, but not really walking with God, then we're not going to find walking in his ways to be, uh, or we're going to find them to be burdensome. We're not going to do it. And so um, a good, strong, encouraging word from, from John here uh, in regard to the evidences of what a believer looks like in that. Again, not what earns us a place with God, but what ultimately it looks like once we are in Christ and abiding in Him. So, Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that, Lord, you'd help these things to sink deep into our hearts, and that we might even consider, and, and not just consider, but that we might exercise some, uh, some self-examination in this. You know, uh, am I a tree bearing good fruit? Am I abiding in Christ? Uh, if not, why not? If I am, then thank you for that, Lord. And help me to continue and to protect and guard that, to, to continually, day after day, press in further and seek to walk with you and seek to set aside those things that would undermine my ability to do that. Uh, insofar as it depends on me, help me to walk with you uh, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But Father, I also recognize that I need you and I need your Holy Spirit to help bring those things out of me that ultimately hinder, uh, to help protect me from making bad decisions or going after things that would lead me away from you. Uh, But Father, I just want to lean on you and just pray that, Lord, you would help me to become more and more like Jesus. Help us each to become more and more like Jesus as we seek to follow him. Lord, we thank you. We praise you and bless you. Thank you again for your word and help us to continue to learn and grow as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions, as always, you can feel free to leave them on our YouTube channel here. Uh, or if you want, you can, uh, you can email me at my website at ParsonsPad.com or at our church's website at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. You can watch these videos not only on our YouTube channel, but on my personal website. Uh, you can also tune into our Wednesday night live stream. We've started doing that now as we're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. On Wednesday nights, uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. And when you do, when we post a a podcast or when we do a live stream there, uh, you'll be alerted to it so you can watch. Uh, And our Wednesday nights, by the way, we're trying to also incorporate those of you who are watching uh, who can't be there physically where you can not only watch, but you can participate. You can ask questions and type it in. And uh, we have folks that are kind of reading those questions so we can address them. And it's, it's if you can't be there yourself personally, it's kind of a, the next best thing to sort of be able to, to kind of fellowship together as we go through the Word. Uh, and then, of course, you can watch our Sunday morning live streams on our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, we just this coming Sunday are going to start our study in the book of Revelation, something we've been very excited about getting to, and we've now finally arrived at it, and so we're going to go ahead and make our way through starting this Sunday. So we encourage you to join us for that as well. So thanks for watching. Thanks for being with us. And uh, we'll look forward to continuing to make our way through the Word together and talking about the various topics that we do as well. Uh, here each morning. And uh, again, I can't say how much I appreciate the opportunity we have to do these things together. So thank you. And until next time, God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon.